0: We're going to start with Luke chapter 2, verse 4, where it begins to talk about the birth of Jesus. And it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with a child. So the thing that always messed me up was I'd have all these maps in the back of my Bible and I knew and I could find where Galilee was and uh, Nazareth and I could find where Bethlehem was and Bethlehem was south of Nazareth but the Bible said they went up and you don't go up south right? seriously like in high school before I was really following the Lord even this was a question for me well Here's the deal. Bethlehem is on a mountain. Nazareth is in plains by the Sea of Galilee. So it's sea level, right? So it's low. So if you're going from uh, Galilee, Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem, you are going up, 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 up. You're going up almost 3,000 feet elevation. So they didn't have Google Maps Not everybody had it. They didn't all have a a compass in their pocket or on the dashboard of their car. So when you went to Bethlehem, you went up to Bethlehem because it was up there. Right. All right. So we're going to ask some questions today. This is what happened. This is how Joseph, he takes Mary. They are pledged to be wed to one another, but they aren't married yet. But he is he is sort of already the caregiver of her. And here she is. She's pregnant. She's about to have a baby. And that would be scandalous. That would be um, not not looked upon as a good thing because they're not married yet. And, and that whole business. But he's still taking care of her and he is still looking out for her. And um, and he still intends to marry her, which is all really awesome. And so they go to Bethlehem because they're doing a census thing and they you've got to be at your parents, family and Joseph was in the line of David and Mary was in the line of David and that is super important because the Messiah had to be in the line of David and to prove that we're going to go back to 2nd Samuel chapter 7 I'm telling you we're going all over the place today so 2nd Samuel chapter 7 God is telling King David King David is at the end of his life, and he's you know, kind of wondering, did I do good as a king? Did I do a good job? How have I reigned? And God says to King David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So you might read this and you think, oh, this is Solomon, right? The child of David. God's going to do all this stuff. And some of this stuff fits. And then all of a sudden, well, hold on. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So Solomon did build a house for God. But Solomon's kingdom didn't last forever. Hmm. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of man, with stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Remember King Saul did wrong and God fired him? Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me and your throne shall be established forever. So whenever there's a prophecy that happens, whenever God speaks through a prophet, the prophet talks and it has something to do with this time right now, what you need to hear right this minute. But it also has something to do with Jesus. And so when he says, I'm going to put one of your descendants on a throne and his kingdom will last forever. I will be to him a father and he'll be like a son to me. Well, that's Jesus, right? he talk about his father in heaven. Uh, Jesus gets baptized. He comes up out of the water and there's a voice that says, this is my son. With him, I'm pleased. Then you hit this weird sentence. This is Second Samuel seven fourteen. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the Son of Man. Now Jesus never committed any iniquity. Jesus never sinned. So that doesn't fit. So you dig out your Hebrew geek dictionary. Because this doesn't fit. There's got to be something else here. Guess what? There's that Hebrew word. There's two other places where they translate that. It shows up 17 times in the Old Testament. And it means... Bent down, or it means curved and twisted, or it means to sin. You know how um, a crook, like if a guy robs a bank, he's a crook. Well, what does a crook mean? A crook is like crooked, right? Bent, turned. So if I translated that literally, I'd say, Who robbed the bank? Well, that guy that's all wiggly, he's crooked. You'd be like, what in the world? So in Hebrew, they would use this word. He's crooked. He's bent. He's bent over. He's turned upside down. But sometimes they mean it literally. Like in Isaiah chapter 21. Pain has taken upon me. I was bent down at the hearing of it. I was dismayed. So this guy hears something. And he's bent over. He's crooked. He's bent. He's bowed down. Hmm. There's another place where they use that word. Where in Isaiah 24, the Lord's going to make the earth empty. He's going to turn it into a waste. He's going to turn the world upside down. That word upside down is that same word. So if... God is prophesying to David about his descendants. And he says, He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he will be a son. When he bows down, when he is turned over, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the Son of Man. Isn't that the crucifixion? Isn't that Jesus? When Jesus bowed down and humbled himself fully, he was struck by the rod of men. He was given stripes. That's the the slang for the the whipping. So here is God prophesying to David, your son, one of your descendants, is going to sit on an eternal throne and I'm going to be his father. Father. I'm not going to be his God, not just his God. I'm going to be his father. He is going to be my son. And he's going to humble himself and bow down and be beaten by the rods of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. So God is establishing the savior of the world is going to be a descendant of David. He's going to bow down and men are going to beat him. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. So Joseph takes Mary to Bethlehem where she's going to have a child because um, King David was from Bethlehem. So all the descendants of David are going to be in Bethlehem. This is in Micah. The prophet Micah prophesies. And um, at the time that Micah is prophesying, the Assyrian army is about to destroy all of them. Remember I said a prophet says something for people at that time, but then he also says something that applies to Jesus. Get your troops together. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Oh, we're getting beat, right? But then he says, But you, O Bethlehem, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you will come forth from me one who is to be ruler of Israel. His coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So here's this prophet hundreds of years before Jesus saying this little bitty tiny town that's up on this mountaintop is where the Savior is going to come from. And it's really awesome when you read that and you know it's about Jesus, here's what he's going to do. This is Micah chapter 5. Um, God's going to give up everyone to the Assyrians, to the evil, until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And then everybody, the Gentiles, the Jews, everybody's going to return to Israel. They're going to, in their hearts, they're going to turn back to the living God. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will dwell secure. For now, he will be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So Micah says, "This guy's going to get born and in Bethlehem, and he's going to be the shepherd of Israel." Remember how Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd." Other people come and take care of the sheep, but they're just a hired hand. But the shepherd himself lays down his life for the sheep. He was talking about Micah chapter five. And so here's Joseph. He has to go back to his family to get counted in the census. He has this betrothed soon to be wife and she's pregnant with the child and he goes back to do what the law says, what the government is making him do. Not a godly government. The only reason the Romans would take a census was to make sure they're getting enough taxes and make sure they're drafting enough young men into their army. There's nothing holy about what the Romans are doing. But Joseph does it, and he goes along with it, and he doesn't even realize he's fulfilling these two prophecies right here by taking his soon-to-be wife, back to his hometown. Back to Luke, chapter 2, verse 7. But we're only going to be there for a minute, right? She gave birth to her firstborn, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So every year there's a new controversy, and they come up with new things, and they're like, oh, it was really a cave. Oh, it was really the guest room of a house. And and people get really bent out of shape about that. And um, that's fine. Jesus was born, and it wasn't in a normal good place. Something was wrong with it. Every year they try to analyze what was wrong with it. Either way, this is not normal, okay? Um, With all of that, you take hospitality, Middle Eastern Hospitality, Ancient Middle Eastern hospitality makes this even more wrong. A baby should never be put in a manger. If a baby's getting put in a manger, stuff is messed up. Um, the other day, Isaac and I were driving down the street, and we see this lady. It's like 25 degrees outside, and she's carrying two babies. And their legs are hanging out, and there's no socks. And... It only takes us like one second for both of us to look at that and say, that is messed up. There is something wrong. It took us like five minutes to react and do something. And then it was too late and it was all a wash. But when you, as soon as you see a lady walking down the street carrying two babies and it's 20 degrees out, you know, that's wrong right off the bat, right? That's what you would hear with this. We're, we don't have a, we don't have a, well, we have this right We have the nativity scenes all over the place. We are so used to seeing Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in a stable. We're used to straw, right? You take all your leftover straw that you had for Halloween decorations and you use it at Christmas. We're so used to that. This was not... Nobody should be used to that, right? We should not be comfortable with that. Something is messed up. If this poor girl is having a baby... And all they can do with it is put it in a manger. Um, it just shows the broken state of this whole, this whole thing. But it shows the brilliance of God. Because just imagine, uh, you can go there today, you can go to the Basilica of the Nativity, and it is this big, awesome, humongous cathedral with all kinds of excavations and all kinds of whatnots and statues. And they say, this is where Jesus was born. And it was built in like uh, the the eight or nine hundreds, and then in about the four hundreds, somebody went to this place in Bethlehem and they built a temple to some pagan god, and it was all messed up. And it's just like what? God never wanted anybody to boast in that place, and I think that's why He picked a manger, right? I mean, can you imagine the innkeeper? Oh yeah, I had the Son of God born out in my inn in rooms 1308. And everybody would want to come and stay there, and he would charge double, right? Because you could stay in the room where the Son of God was born. No. Or even the city. This little podunk, tiny city of Bethlehem. Can't brag, God chose to be born in our fair city because of our beautiful streets. No, it was. I mean, it was like it wasn't even like paradise. It was like not like Yankee Town. I mean, it's like Dogtown, right? I mean, it's tiny. If Dogtown were on a hill, which Dogtown wouldn't be a Dogtown if it were on a hill, right? It kind of needs to be flooded. Little Bethlehem, little not even an inn that you can brag about, not even a place with an address, a manger. So it's just, it's the perfect brilliance of God. So then Luke chapter two, verse eight. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. This is one of my favorite things in the whole Bible. These guys are out guiding sheep, taking care of sheep at night. Um, it's a dangerous job. It's a job that you would not send your favorite son out to do. It is not a job that you would want any of you. None of us would want any of our kids to have this job. Um, you might get eaten by wolves or by animals. Um, they might fall off of things. They might get stung by scorpions. I mean, it's just dangerous. It's um, not very thankful. It's, it's not a very glorious. You wouldn't brag, Oh yeah, I'm a shepherd. Because you smell like sheep, and you're always taking care of sheep. But those are the guys that got to see the angels. Those guys are out there. Um, it was also a, a criminal job. If you, if you had been, you know, they didn't want you around important things in the city, you could always get a job. It's kind of like working at the turkey factory. I mean, it's just, if nobody else will hire you, you can go work for a shepherd. And out there, an angel appears. They're full of fear. The glory of the Lord shone around them. In the Scriptures, whenever the glory of the Lord shows up, it either looks like a mist or a fog, like a cloud, or it shows up like fire. And so imagine these guys are out there. They don't have flashlights. They don't have streetlights. The best thing they could ever have would be the full moon But this isn't necessarily during the full moon. And all of a sudden, all around them is the glory of God, like fire all around. So, of course, they're afraid, right? The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, they would know what the city of David was because they were shepherds around it, right? And they know that's what Bethel, Bethlehem could brag about. We're the home of David. And there's probably still people there that are descendant from David that aren't kings, aren't royalty, because the Romans are ruling. But they know. But He's Christ the Lord. Christ means chosen one, appointed one, Messiah, anointed by God. <gasps> and He is born in Bethlehem today? This will be so all of that is told to them. Then the angel says, "This will be a sign to you. This is how you're going to know that we are telling you something that's true and you're not just drunk and having visions, right? Which other people accused people of. You this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. So if you hear all that, right? Go into Bethlehem and you'll find a newborn baby. Okay, big deal, right? Lying in a manger. What? Like that's, that's weird. That to them, that would throw them off. That would be a strange thing. Um, I, I used to know a guy that was born in the back of like a 57 Chevy. And that was his story to always tell. He was like up on Fulton Avenue right by the, and like he would point out. And uh, we would drive by and he'd be like, oh, we're going to go by my birthplace. And he would carry on about, on Fulton Avenue, in the back of this Chevy, he got born. And um, that's weird, right? And so the angel says, go, you're going to find this newborn baby, and it's going to be lying in a manger. What? A manger? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. There's a Bible teacher named Chuck Missler, and he says every time you hear the phrase heavenly host, you should hear armor rattling. Because that phrase, heavenly host, means army. That is is an army word. That is a, a war word. So suddenly all around them, There's a multitude of the heavenly army and they're all, I mean, these guys are out in the wilderness. They aren't in the woods. There's no trees to hide behind. There might be rocks to hide under if you could pick it up, but it's too heavy. And everything is full of angels and they're all shouting glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased course they're afraid they're excited they're also kind of next level excited because there's something else that they might know about so if these guys were good jewish kids which they probably weren't but they were a little bit right um who in here has never heard of star wars right you've never heard of star wars you've heard something about whether you've seen it or not you've heard about it right Okay, okay, let's try it. I mentioned Miracle on 34th Street. Has anybody never heard of Miracle on 34th? Okay, so those are things that, that whether we're interested in them or not, they're in our culture, right? Whether we like it or not. So these guys didn't have TV, and just about everybody in Israel grew up hearing all these great stories of the Old Testament. And you know how you hear different stories and different ones stick out and you remember details or you remember things? Well, there's one about angels in the Old Testament and I can't help but wonder if all these shepherds were scared because they thought about this same thing. So we're going to go back to 2 Kings chapter 6. And um, so Bible trivia-wise... 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. 1 and 2 Samuel is all about Samuel, right? And how he gets something started. And the things that he gets started is the kingdom, which is then described in 1 and 2 Kings. So that's how you can remember those all go together in the Bible. Um, In 1 and 2 Kings, you have Elijah and Elisha. And you remember which one of those goes first and second? Because they're in alphabetical order. So Elijah with the J comes before Elisha with the shish. Okay? So if it's 2 Kings, you know right off the bat, this is going to be something about Elisha, probably, maybe. So 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Once... When the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel in his servants. And he said, I'm going to go to this camp. Here's where we're going to go, such and such a place. But the man of God, this is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel. And he said, beware, king, don't go by this place, because that's where the Syrians are going. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. And thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So Elisha is like a spy. And he tells the king of Israel, oh, here's what Syria is about to do. And the king of Syria is like, who is telling the king of Israel about all of this? He's foiling all of our plans. And he's mad. But Elisha, I mean, how awesome is that? Elisha is like, Go and pray. God says, hey, tell the king of Israel, Syria's next move is this, this, and this. So then he goes into the king of Israel, and he's like, their next move is this, this, and this. He's like, oh, perfect. And Syria is like, how did they know that? So he's really mad, and he wants to know who the spy is. This is in uh, 2 Kings 6, verse 11. The mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled. He called his servants, and he said, Who in this room is for the king of Israel? Who in this room is a spy? One of his servants says, None of us, my lord. But listen, king. Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you whisper in your bedroom. (laughs) I love that phrase. O king, none of us is a spy. But Israel has a prophet that knows what you whisper in your bedroom. So what's the king of Syria going to do? We got to kill Elisha, right? Go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. They say he's in Dothan, so he goes there, sends horses, chariots, a giant army to stop Elisha, to capture him. They go by night, they surround the whole city. This is all just for Elisha, super spy, right? He's there. This whole army uh, chariots. So whenever you hear about chariots, not everybody had chariots. Israel didn't have chariots. Chariots were like tanks. Uh, ch- chariots were like aircraft carriers. I mean, they were they were military army machines, and they were strong, and they were hard to build. They're expensive. All right, verse fifteen. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, so Elisha wakes up in the morning, he goes out, there's an army with horses and chariots all around their city. And his servant says, Oh, my master, what are we going to do? Elisha says, don't be afraid. For those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Then Elisha prayed and he said, Oh Lord, please open His eyes, so he can see. Open my servant's eyes. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and he looked, and the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So Elisha knows that he's safe. This servant guy is scared because their whole city is surrounded by an army. Elisha says, God opened his eyes so he can see the reality. And the, all over the mountain, on the high ground, above the opposing army, right, is an army of horses and chariots of fire. So however bad a chariot is, however tough, like you would be afraid of a chariot. If you lived in this age, you would want to stay away from a chariot. What if there's one made out of fire, right? How powerful is that? Then when the Syrians came down against him, so the Syrians come to attack, Elisha prays to the Lord, smite them and blow them off the earth. No, he didn't. Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike them with blindness, Lord. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And then Elisha, so they can't see. We'll see in a minute how they can't see. Elisha goes down to them, he says, hey, 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 this is the, you're going the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man you're looking for. So somehow God or these angels with the chariots of fire or something struck the, the Syrian army blind so they couldn't recognize Elisha. And they could still move, they could still function, but they, just, they were somehow blinded to what reality was. Does that make sense? Elisha isn't afraid because he's got a bigger army around him than this army of Syria. And so he marches right in front of them and he leads the Syrian army away from his city. Guess where he leads them? Right in front of the Israeli army. Just marches them right up into, through Samaria, right into Israel. As soon as they entered Samaria, said... Oh, Lord, open the eyes of this army so they can see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and there they were in Samaria. (gasps) Right? They're in enemy territory. They're surrounded by the army of Israel. They're dead, right? They're goners. The king of Israel saw them and he said to Elijah, Elisha. My father, should I strike them down? Should I kill them all? Elisha says, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those who you've taken captive with your sword and your bow? No. Put bread and water before them so they would eat and drink and then send them back to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. The king of Israel leader of the army of Israel, prepares this giant feast for the army of Syria that just got led right into their their territory. He prepared for them a great feast. When they had eaten and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. They never came back to fight. Remember how the whole reason why they were going to fight is because Israel has some kind of super spy that knows everything we're gonna do. He knows all of our moves. He stops us all the time. We have to kill him. What if he's so powerful that he knows all of our moves and he can make us totally lose our way and be, you know, blinded and show up, totally could kill us, and he gives us bread and drink and sends us on our way? Isn't it wild that God won that war the same way He's been winning the ultimate war ever since? He invites us in. Who paid for all that bread? The king of Israel did, right? He paid for it himself. Who deserved to pay for all that bread? That Syrian army. The Syrian army deserved death, right? But instead at his own cost the king of Israel gave them food, gave them drink, gave them peace. And from then on they had peace because they never invaded Israel again. I just wonder if those shepherds that night when they saw this whole army of Israel, of army of angels, if they saw that and they thought This is exactly what Elisha saw. An army of angels. And they're all shouting, glory to God in the highest. And what are they doing? They are leading those shepherds right into the kingdom, the manger, the place of Jesus being born. And what are they offering those shepherds? Bread and drink. They're offering him knowledge of the Son of God who's been born, the bread of life, right? If we were having communion, it would be even more obvious. And He is destroying the war and winning the war with His grace and His kindness and His mercy and His forgiveness at His own expense. Because all those shepherds deserve death. They deserve punishment because they're, they're born under Adam. They've sinned. Somehow... Just like all of us have. And instead, he shows them grace and mercy, and he's gonna pay for that grace and mercy himself as he bows down and takes the beating as a man, as a grown man that he doesn't deserve. So, we go to see Miracle on 34th Street, and all the songs at the end are about believe and have faith, and they say all this stuff. You just need to believe. And you just need to have faith. They never mentioned Jesus in the whole thing, except for in the songs. But they never said the name of Jesus. And um, and I loved it. And it was a great show. And I try not to think too hard about it. But gosh, don't just believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus is Jesus is the point, and he is the he is the real man. See, God knew that we could not follow a concept we could not follow this ethereal unknown kindness you just need to be friendly we can't follow joy if i try to be joyful it lasts like 20 minutes depending on how much i've had to eat how much coffee i've had i can't follow joy i can't follow faith i can't follow belief i need a person to follow i need a man i need a being right And how much better, you know, even following God or like this one, God, as long as he's this concept, he might be real and he might be holy and he might be awesome. But I can't follow him because I don't know how to be a God. And people that try to be God's fail, right? Nobody wants to be around them. And God knows that. And so he sends Jesus, a descendant of David born in Bethlehem celebrated by the angels at just the right time to live. So I can see, wow, that's what a man looks like that I want to follow. That's what a guy that I could actually follow him and have everlasting life. And that's the real deal. So that let that permeate your Christmas. And, um, there's a whole bunch of other stories you can dig up. If you've got a good study Bible, read Luke 1 and 2 and follow all those cross-references. There's something like 400 prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' life. And I just covered three of them that were fulfilled at his birth. So you can go find the other 397 on your own this week. There'll be a quiz. And, um, and make this your fabulous Christmas conversation because it's worth it. It's interesting and and it's all it all really happened, so let's pray, Lord. Thank you so much for the profound reality of christmas that through an evil government, through a, a poor young girl, through a guy named Joseph that was just trying to be righteous and to follow your law, through all of that through Uh, criminal shepherds out in the hills, out in the wilderness. All of a sudden, you came and you were born and you lived a real life. And we praise you, Lord. We praise you for your mercy. We praise you for paying the price for us that none of us could ever pay. We praise you for your grace and mercy that you still reach out and that you still bring us in to your family, and into your life. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 87 together.